in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah chapter 8. We'll be having another small group leader orientation for those that couldn't make last Sunday. This Sunday at 5 p.m. in the grill. If you are considering or just curious about what it would be to be a small group leader in our church, we'll be kicking that off in September, but the preparations are made now. We're training leaders now so that we can hit the ground running. Our goal is to have area groups over all areas of town as well as South Macon and Warner Robins. And if you are considering having a home group, you say, well, what does it mean to be a leader in a small group? Simply this, that you would care, share, prayer, and teach. A group where you can connect and other people can connect where we don't feel like Sunday morning is all there is to our Christian experience. You'll have friends that will uh, laugh with you, friends that will grow with you, friends will weep with you, uh, friends that will hold you accountable, and there will be a family setting to where you will have connectivity in this local body. So if you're considering or interested in what might be this thing called a home group, small group, I want you to join me today at 5 o'clock in the grill uh, right upstairs. All right, Jeremiah 8. Beginning with verse 4. Reading out of the New Living Translation. Jeremiah, say to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on self-destructive paths? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. I listen, God says, to their conversations. And I don't hear a word of truth. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say what a terrible thing I've done? No. They're running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle. Even the stork that flies across the sky knows the time of her migration, as do the turtle doves, the swallow, and the crane. They all return at the proper time each year, but not my people. They do not know my laws. How can you say we are wise because we have the word of the Lord when your teachers have twisted it by writing lies? These wise teachers will fall into the trap of their own foolishness, for they have rejected the word of the Lord. Are they so wise after all? I will give their wives to others and their farms to strangers. From the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. Yes, even my prophets and priests are like that. They're all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is none. Are they ashamed of disgusting actions? No, not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Therefore, they will lie among the slaughtered. They'll be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. I will surely consume them. There'll be no more harvest of figs and grapes and the fruit trees will all die. Whatever I give them will soon be gone. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Then the people will say, why should we wait here to die? Let's go to the fortified towns and die there. For the Lord our God has decreed our destruction and has given us a cup of poison to drink because we sinned against the Lord. We hoped for peace, but none came. We hoped for a time of healing, but found only terror. The snorting of the enemies, war horses, can be heard all the way from the land of Dan in the north. 
The neighing of their stallions makes the whole land tremble. They're coming to devour the land and everything in it, cities and people. I will send these enemy troops among you like poisonous snakes that you cannot charm. They will bite you and you will die. I, the Lord, have spoken. And Jeremiah replied, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of the people. It can be heard all across the land. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem? The people ask, is the king no longer there? Well, why have they provoked my anger with their carved idols and their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord. The harvest is finished. This is the primary text. The summer is gone and the people are not saved. The harvest is finished. The summer is gone and the people cry, we are not saved. Jeremiah said, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I'm overcome with grief. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? You read that to yourself or out loud and you go, wow. When I was a little boy, you heard often about the judgment of God, the wrath of God. A lot of preaching on the wages of sin being death. A lot of preaching on eternal judgment, a Christless eternity spent in hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. There was very little taught or spoke about the grace of God, where God eclipses a life of sin. He eclipses it with mercy. Well, in this generation, if you just go by what's being written and what's being preached, you'll hear about Grace and grace and grace, even to the one that's never repented. The Bible tells us to behold the goodness, first the goodness, the goodness and the severity of God. And it doesn't harm my faith to speak of God's judgment. The world who doesn't know him say, what kind of God could judge someone and send them to eternity? Uh, uh, eternity of, 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 of pain and suffering. The same kind of God that would die in your place so you didn't have to. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. The people cried out, the harvest is past. Summer is gone. And we're still not saved. As a pastor, when the Lord gives me words like this, they're not only not my favorite, they're hard to do. Because I don't qualify to be anyone's judge. People like me live by and bank on the mercy of God. Because if it weren't for God's mercy, I'd be consumed. Guys, we got one of these things that keeps resetting up here. If there's a way to fix it. But having said that, do you ever put yourself in the role of a pastor? There'll be a day coming when I'm going to stand naked before God and he's going to ask me, did you tell them these things? Did you tell them these hard things? Like there's seasons in your life that come and go and people who know my name, still are not saved. They've been in the church all their life and they're still not forgiven. 
And I want to, by the grace of God this morning, talk to you on the subject of still not saved. It's, it's not really a sermon. It's kind of like delivering a letter. And see, the Lord knew who'd be here today. I didn't. I don't schedule my preaching, you know, three weeks from next month, I'm going to be preaching on this subject. But if I've ever heard his voice, I heard it today to bring forth a strong word. And let me tell you about God before I, I pray and then I give you this simple message this morning. God sends strong words when he wants to do great things in your life. He's not one that sits in heaven in his robe, judge's robe with a mallet, waiting to sentence people. He sends strong correction to make strong changes to give us life. To give us life, abundant life, freedom in him. But our problem is, it's impossible to receive grace for a life and sins that we've not repented of. So maybe this message will turn on the light to allow us to feel guilt, to turn us to God to find grace. And that's my mission this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm asking you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit and the power to preach a strong message with a tender heart. I pray, O oh Lord, that I not get in the way of someone coming to know you or coming home. Surely our life is passing us by and some of us are still not saved, still not forgiven. Let this be the day, O oh Lord. Let this be the day where their lives are turned around for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Still not saved because we're not convinced of our need to be. Unaware of our true condition. Unaware of our hopelessness and helplessness. Unaware of impending judgment and a Christless eternity. The Bible says, God said, he said the stork and the turtle dove and the swallow, internally they know when it's time to come back in the spring to Palestine. And yet in our own conscience, we've somehow seared it so to where we can't even feel the natural migrating pull of a life created in the image of God to come back to God. Just unaware. We don't feel we're guilty. We surround ourselves with people that don't feel guilty. We hire out preachers to tell us we're not guilty. But in our own heart, we know we know that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that there's none of us righteous. No, not one. And in the same way, birds, and God uses this simple illustration so people like you and I wouldn't miss it. They know when to come back home. A soul created by God, being pulled by God, should naturally migrate to God. But we somehow don't. And in my life, if you'd have looked at me from my teens to my mid-twenties, the Bible tells me that even my animals had better moral sense, a moral compass, John, than you did. Because I wasn't aware of my need. I didn't like to go to church because church had light in it. Why do you think the clubs have a 12-watt bulb in them? So you can come in with your bad hygiene and your bad breath and got beer goggles on and you're beautiful. You're really beautiful. 
and the light of the morning come on or somebody turn a light on there and you don't know if you got a raccoon or a racehorse right here. You didn't know. <laughs> Tell the truth. It's good for your soul. And when you come into God's presence or God's word, it puts light on areas like this. Okay, let's say John Wood goes to church. He's in his mid-20s. He walks in and the light says, I don't care who your daddy was. I don't care who your mother is. I have been graceful to you and gracious to you and merciful to you. John Wood, you stiff-necked rebel. I don't want to see my condition. John, you're helpless. You have no way to approach me unless I give you a way. You are hopeless and helpless. And the wrath of God, my wrath already abides on your life. Had I not known that, I wouldn't cry out for mercy. If I'm thinking God's okay, I'm okay, we're okay, then there's no appeal, but it's the guilt, not, not a guilt that makes you run from God, but a guilt like John Wood, how do you plead? Oh, I'm guilty. You're exactly right. Well, being sentenced to eternity, my soul would cry out, is there mercy in the court of the Lord? What did you ask for? Mercy. I, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm judged. And I look over on Golgotha's hill and there's a naked Savior that says, I died in your place. And I say, I plead the blood of Jesus for my life. But if I don't know my condition, I won't call out for mercy for my condition. And God's word, God's church is supposed to be a place of light where the lights come on. Not to put your eye out blinding but to let you see where we really are. Still not saved because we're looking in the wrong places. Salvation is not found in yourself, only the filthy clothes of self-righteousness. You don't turn over a new leaf to get saved. That's like turning over filthy clothes inside out. The fig leaves from the garden of Eden don't work. Salvation's not found in ourselves and it's not found in the hands of men. Some priest or some bishop or some pope or some uh, cardinal or somebody touching you with a talisman or telling, chanting something over you and you're going to find a salvation at my hand. I say it often and I say it loudly. I can't impart salvation to you by me putting my hand on you or shaking your hand. You might as well shake a donkey's tail. Doesn't do anything for you. But we're looking in houses of worship instead of in the channel that God provided. Just because someone said they can help you doesn't mean they can help you. Have you ever had anybody help you at your house? And you can do some stuff shade tree. And there's some stuff you can't do shade tree. Anybody ever had a jack leg electrician help you? I had a guy come to my house one time. He's not here, by the way. I'll leave him nameless. Yeah, preach, I'm like, I can do that. Yeah, I, I don't have my papers. When somebody starts off with, I don't have my license, but that's a sign. That's a sign. <laughs> you should have them. But anyway, he's down at the bottom of my stairs, and I don't know what he touched with what, but there was a fireball <laughs> shot out of my wall, and he let out the biggest cuss word. <laughs> it knocked him from one end of the stairs. But what he was saying was, before it about killed him, he said, I can help you. I'm an electrician. And there are people all over the world telling you, I can help you with God. I can help you with God. Listen, listen, listen. The only help I can offer you 
is thus saith the Lord. And anything that contradicts the word of God is a lie. And you can't find it in a priest or a man or a religion or a system or some rosary beads or in just by being water baptized. You find it God's way and through him. It's not found in the lap of pleasure because pleasure vanishes like dew in the morning. It's not found in externals like religion or rituals or ordinances. Salvation is found in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else and no one else. Nowhere else and no one else. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Anymore going to Burger King makes you a whopper. Just going, I go to church. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Baptist. I'm Pentecostal. I didn't ask you that. Are you saved? I've been in church all my life. It doesn't matter. Are you saved? I was preaching in a little church in Cordell years ago. It seemed like a hundred years ago. I just started preaching. And I got done in the end of my sermon and my best effort at a sermon then. You think it's bad now. You should have heard it years ago. It, it wasn't, wasn't a lot of wisdom coming out of that pulpit. But I did my best. And this man about 80 years old come up to me and says, son, can I have a word with you? I said, sure. He introduced himself. He's Sunday school superintendent. Uh, on the board there and long story short he shook my hand he said uh I have been in the church since I was a little boy I'm 80 years old and I just found out this morning that I'm not saved would you pray with me to receive Christ I said yes sir and me and granddaddy got on the floor and knelt because he became aware of his condition and he had realized that he tried to obtain something through the church. Even though you can hear the message in the church, the church can't give it. I can only present it and get out of the way for you to come meekly and humbly before God and find forgiveness for yourself. And when I left the church that day, the Sunday school superintendent for the next Sunday was going to be a Christian. That changes the dynamics of your church right there. Still not saved because we willingly continually provoke the Lord. Our refusal to repent is evident of our pride. Our refusal to repent is irrational because even the animals know when to migrate home. Our refusal to repent is the evidence of our deception and it's the guarantee of future judgment. The Bible says in this verse that they could hear the horses from another nation coming knowing they're all gonna be killed and still don't repent. For those people that are governed by pride, they're sitting in this service right now and they're mad as a hornet. They're mad at me. They're mad at God. And part of it, I understand. So may I speak to their thought? Who are you to talk to me about my life? I'd love the opportunity to answer that. I am nobody. I'm just a man standing in the street where the bridge has been washed away saying, the bridge is out, it's out. And you roll down your window and cuss me. Who do you think you are? I'm just the guy in the street saying the bridge is out. That's it. The harvest is past, summer is over and we're not right with God. Our soul knows it, our family knows it, we know it. And our pride stiffens up because of what either somebody said or something someone did or we just refuse to bow our knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And whether we bow or not in this life, 
in the next life, the word of God declares, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It'll happen. Kings and potentates and monarchs and Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and all world dictators will stand before a resurrected, exalted king whose name is Jesus Christ, none other. And they will bow and admit to his lordship. I ain't always bowed. I still don't like to bow now sometimes. This side of being saved, 20, shoot, 27 years. Do you ever still get arrogant? Don't look at me sanctified. I'll call you out. I'll walk down this aisle. <laughs> yes, you do. It's like that little boy. <laughs> Mama got him the other day. She said, you sit down and hush your mouth. And he sat down. Here in the church, you know, just sitting there, and you walk by, and she goes, you just stay there. He said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> We're all like that. Who likes to say, I am your verdict of me. I am your assessment of me. A proud person will not. Now, don't nudge the person sitting beside you, but do you know of anybody proud? who cannot repent, who cannot apologize, who it seems like when they do, you're ripping an internal organ out of them. <laughs> They're dying. It just kills them to be wrong. Now listen to me. You can't walk with God and be like that. Because listen, listen to me. He's not wrong. The person beside you, sometimes it's them, sometimes it's you. But with God... It's always us. So see, to walk with God means a humility that comes over us and says, you are God, I am not. And your word is the standard, not what this secular world, and I'm, please, may we have 10 seconds of sanity. If you put the brains of this world in a bird, it'd fly upside down backwards. Cray, cray, not just crazy, cray, cray. And see, I'm trying to mix in a little laughter to show you how foolish our wisdom is. I crack a turtle egg on the beach at Daytona. I've committed a felony. You can kill a child in your womb and the government pay for it. Tell me we ain't lost our mind. Lost our mind. But pride says we govern ourselves, we create our own rules, look at us, we're this uh, educated nation. But humility says, no, we are God's assessment of us. And I am a sinner, forgiven by mercy. And I add nothing to what Christ did to save me. You can't accept someone's salvation and rewrite it to fit you. We have to come before the Lord humbly. We have to accept the, the, the verdict. You are a sinner and the wages of your sin is death. Yes. And then the other part of the scripture comes flooding over. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You are who I said you are. And you're so important that I would die to take your sins away. So the, 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 the guilty are forgiven, the lost are found, the weak are made strong. And people like me, this old, 28 years ago, just a drunk, 
Just a five night a week, drunk, shucked up, perverted, lust filled, God says, and I'm going to use him to preach. I'm against the backstop. I'm saying, who? You. To this day, I want you to look me in the eye. The fact that I get a hat and a jersey just blows me away. Unworthy. See, God likes to choose the foolish things to confound the wise. And picking me was foolish. I'm okay with it. I know I'm not about much, but he really likes me. And I walk in relationship with him. And I am his son. And I find my dignity, dignity not in the opinion of people, but in the decrees of God. And so it is for us this morning. We're, there's only two classes of people. Saved and unsaved. And if you've ever been a part of a church, let's say you're in this room this morning and you're not a Christian and you were ever part of a church that was judgmental and preached on hell like they wanted you to go there. I would like to apologize to you on their behalf, but listen to me. I would rather hear the truth from a mean person than a lie from a sweet person. And this world is filled with lies. Can you imagine if you got terminal cancer and you're dying and the doctor comes in and goes, uh, he talks to people out in the hall. He goes, what does she want to hear? Tell her she's good. All right. What else? Tell her there's no traces. Okay. Anything else? Uh, she should be home tomorrow. Okay. Anything about the organs that are shut down? Tell her she grew new ones. All right. Good. Good. Got it. She walks in, lady got tubes in every open part of her body. She's on, you know, breathing machine and she's like barely can talk hammer. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're fine. Don't worry about nothing. Happens every day in church. Every day. Now, I can't say to everybody in this place, let's use common sense. Everybody's horrible. No, there are people walking with the Lord. None of you Christians, you're all backslid, ungodly reprobates. Every one of you. Well, he needs a therapist. He don't know everybody. But some of you, some of you. Now watch how fair this is. And you know who you are. Your harvest is almost over. And the summer of your life is almost past. And you're still not saved. You've rejected the word of the Lord. God said, you're lost. You say, no, I'm not. I'm fine. God says, your self-righteousness is filthy. You said, no, my fig leaves are just fine. God says, the wages of your sin is death. You said, no, I will not die. God says that friendship with the world makes you his enemy. You said, no, I can love both. God says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And you said, there are many ways to God. It doesn't matter which way I go. God says that your sins have separated you from him. And you say, no, nah, we're good. You're still not saved because you've rejected the word of the Lord and you've rewritten your Bible to appease your own conscience. Still not saved because we're more concerned with the consequences of sin than we are the presence of sin. We, we care about what our choices have made in our life, but not the fact that our choices grieve God. We want a remedy for the pain and not a cure for the problem. And that's why we're not saved. One of my roles and duties as a pastor is to have an open door and an open telephone. And I take all kind of calls. And listen, I don't sit in some elevated chair thinking I'm all of that and a bucket of chicken. I know where I've come from. 
I know exactly where I've come from. But people will call me because the pain from their sins is so bad, they want to Novocaine it and never deal with the problem. And they walk out of my office and I realize it's just going to happen again. It's just going to happen again. They've rejected the word of the Lord and they don't care about the presence of sin in their life, just the consequences of sin. Still not saved, even though God has been patient with you. Look how long he has borne our ignorance and our insolence. Who are you? Who am I to shake my fist at God and ask him who he is? Any of you got any kids? Any of you got some brain dead kids? Some of them happen in their adolescence, eight, nine, 10, 11, and then they get in the teen years and you just absolutely check out all of it. And I'm not making fun of my Echo students. Your mom and daddy was that way too. So we're all in the same group. All of us were the same way. A little kid just, you know, bow up at you. Here, this little guy eating $600 worth of groceries a week and go shake his fist at you and said, who do you think you are? Like, I'll show you who I am. Take you out. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We can't do that no more. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll put you in time out if you don't watch yourself. I, I, I will get you. I'll get you. I'll get you. Who do I think I am? I'm the one that brought you into this world. I can take you out. That's who I am. Now, of course, I'm using extremity. But who, who, who do I think I am? I'm the one that's raised you. Now, we don't have a claim to their whole life, but there's, it's almost like a part of you that wants to freeze frame and deposit all this information. How much you cost me? What you did to your mom and I's marriage when you and your brother and your six other brothers and sisters were born. You want to impart all this wisdom. I have all this invested in you. You should recognize the role I play in your life. And if that be so in a small way, who are we to shake our fist at the creator and say, who do you think you are? Heaven answers back, I'm God Almighty. Who do you think you are? Oh, well, I'm just going to group myself with these people who don't believe you exist. And God sits in heaven with the earth as his, foot, as his footstool and says, that angelic host is a fool. A fool. Mm. God has been patient with us. Oh, I remember how many times I prayed drunk. Oh, my goodness. Have y'all ever done this? Lord, if you get me out of this one. <laughs> I, I, I know I promised last time, but this one right here, if you <laughs> be throwing up so bad, if you just help me just not throw up, I'll change my whole life. Change it all. Line Lying and God puts up with all these prayers. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows we didn't mean it. I've told this illustration before several times over 18 years. But I remember like yesterday waking up one morning beside my motorcycle in a little fetal position. My helmet was off to the side and people were walking by me going to class. I don't remember getting there. I don't remember getting on my bike. Uh, I woke up, dews all over you from the morning, you know, and your head pounding. Several years ago, when the Lord brought that memory back to my mind, he said, you remember that morning? I said, yeah. He said, my angels carried you because you'd have died in your sins, John. 
I dropped to my knees and I said, I just owe you everything. And God has protected some of you. There are people in this room today that are not Christians and you've buried friends of yours. You've buried relatives that the mercy of God didn't reach them like it did you. I had a buddy of mine in college, good guy, died of smoke inhalation when his apartment caught on fire and he was too drunk to get out. And here I am driving a motorcycle unconscious and I was spared. Why were you spared? I don't know, but I know that God was patient with me. And some of you, God has driven you home. God has woke you up. God has pushed disease off of all of your life to the next generation and grace after grace after grace. And we just walk on past the cross as if Jesus Christ wasn't there. I don't owe you nothing. I don't owe you my life. I don't owe you gratitude. I don't owe you thanks. And we wouldn't know unless the light shines on us. Even though God has been patient with us, year after year, he extends time to repent, opportunities to repent, motivation to repent. He woos us with his spirit. He calls out to us in the night. He speaks to us through others, but we will not listen. We will not bend. We will not bow and we will not break. We harden our hearts as if God is harassing us with an offer of mercy. I've had people walk out of this and go, I wish he did just shut up. Well, okay, let's look at this. What part of it didn't you like? That part about, won't you come to God? Won't you come to God? So God offering mercy made you angry? Sometimes we can live away so long that we truly don't know the difference between good and bad. Why would God offer mercy to someone like John Wood, I do not have an answer to you. Except it must be more about who he is than who I am. Still not saved, even though our soul cries out to be. It reasons with us on our bed. There has to be more than this. It shouts to us in hospitals and at funerals. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And like the sand in an hourglass, the days of our lives are passing us by. Our soul longs to be free, free from substance abuse, free from lust and perversions, free from the rat race of this world, free to be who I was created to be, enjoying life and looking forward to eternity. It screams for a clear conscience, void of offense with God and others. If our musician would come here, it's like the prodigal who looked at himself in a pigsty. And the Bible said he came to himself. He had a revelation, an illumination. He said, here I am dying and my father's servants have bread enough to spare. He's like he had an epiphany. He said, I will arise and go to my father's house. I will migrate back home. God has been patient with me. God has been tender with me. God has been kind. He's provided this for me. And our soul cries out for this. But we, we numb it with alcohol and drugs and we numb it with sex outside of the confines of marriage and we numb it with pleasures and new things and new clothes and new cars and new houses and our soul says that's not what I'm wanting my flesh wants that but I need to know that me and God are good still not saved even though you have people in your life standing in the gap for you parents 
grandparents, friends, ministers, and spouses. You may not be praying, but they're on their face before God begging for their wife, begging for their husband, begging for their father, and you walk right through and over the prayers. Still not saved. Little grandkids said, Daddy or Papa, will you go to church with us today? No, still not saved. Wives pushing their food back, not eating, praying for their husband, still not saved. Jesus himself interceding the Father for you and still not saved. Even though you've witnessed others experience this grace, someone you know who was born again, you watched it firsthand. You watched it happen. You witnessed them come alive, their guilt removed, and their countenance brightened. You saw them change who they were, what they did, and where they went. And they didn't act like it was something they had to do or something unreasonable to give up. They were born again in front of your eyes. You saw their desires change. All of a sudden, they were open to God, the things of God, the people of God. Worldly things fell away. It's as if they were completely rewired. And if you tell the truth, they're happier, much happier than you've ever known them to be. One of my favorite memories is when I first became a Christian. I was working at Skipper's Restaurant when it was downtown. Do y'all remember there? I was a head waiter there for years. And uh, when I got born again, I, I quit my job there so I didn't have to be around the alcohol and that scene after you got off work, you know. And I went in to eat one night and I sat at a buddy of mine's table named Ben while I was going to eat there and sit at his table. And uh, he came over and sat down. And he goes, can I talk to you just a minute? I said, sure. Right to the chase. He goes, I watched you. You're changed. I said, yes, sir. I'm born again. He goes, I want it right now. I want it right now. I want what happened in your life. Now, was he impressed with me? No, he knew me. He goes, something's up with you. What happened? I said, I've been forgiven. Yeah, but John, you're counting the whole thing. And you've watched it in the lives of others. And you said, uh, good for them, not me. Like God loves them more than you. Still not saved. Even though you have an opportunity to do so today. You can't just come to God when you want. No man can come to the Father, but he draw them. Well, how can you say it's today? Because you're here, and I'm preaching this word, and God's speaking to you. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. And for those of you in our church, bear with me. It's the only testimony I got, but I got to tell them. Out the night before till four in the morning, came into church. I didn't go to church. I just woke up. Oh, carnal John, I said, if I go to church this morning, my mama will cook me anything I world, in the world I want for lunch, and I'm eating chicken today. That's what I thought. So I'm eating chicken and macaroni and cheese, this one thing I knew. A preacher's just preaching. You know, he opens his Bible and he reads a text. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I'm like, they've set me up in here, somebody, you know. And so he's preaching, and I don't know what all he was talking about because I was checking out. I had the tremble going. He's preaching. And I didn't do church and I needed to get out. I wanted a cigarette. I didn't even smoke. I didn't even smoke. And I was like, I need something, something, something was going on. And the Lord was dealing with me. I heard in my heart, John, do you love me? I answered out loud. 
No. So you know the people on the road think Sandra's son's crazy. He just, no, no, I, no. I'm, I'm ready to get out of this place because I'm not used to conviction. A few moments passed. I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, John, do you love me? And I remember apologizing. I said, I'm sorry, I don't love you. John, last time, do you love me? No. I said, that's all right. I love you anyway. 27 years ago, and I feel it just like it happened. I got up from my seat. I don't know if he gave opportunity. I migrated home. I fell on the steps, this altar. I don't even know what all I prayed. But the father who knew my thoughts, it was just like, oh, welcome home, buddy. And he took off his rope of righteousness and put it over all my sin and clothed me. And when I stood up, I was just as saved as any of you and all your history and that pastor because I was saved. My summer was almost over. My harvest was past. And just in the nick of time, he saved me. I'm not a fear mongrel preacher, but I'll tell you this about my life. I believe in my heart. Had I not responded that day, I'd have died that year. I, just tell you. Because I knew too much. I'd been spared too much. And this type of sermon if you're visiting with us, I don't just dig these up. The Lord is waving you down saying, I love you. Don't die in your sin. Don't die in your sin. For whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's you today. If you're wondering if it's for you, it's you. Bow your heads with me this morning. I respect you too much to use a ploy or a gimmick. If you're not saved and you want to be, I, no one in this church will embarrass you. I give you my word. But you need to get up right where you sit and come kneel at this altar and say, I'm responding to your voice, God. Come on. Where are you? Come on. Don't even hesitate. God bless you. God bless you. No one looking around. If you're here with a, a daughter, a son, a husband, a wife, and you know they're not saved, do not embarrass them. But just reach over and take them by the hand and say, I'll go with you. Come on. Just touch their hand. Come on, let's do it. For the sake of our babies, let's do it. For our future, let's do it. God bless you this morning. Others are coming. Today's my day. God bless you. God bless you. Look at here. God bless you. Praise the Lord, Travis. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I believe there's others. Come on. Time to come home. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, Come home. Come home. Where are you, sir? If not today, when? What other 
clarion call do you want? Come on. Come on. Is there one more? Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Come on. Come on. Church family praying all over this building, please. Maybe you're here today and you said, I can't live it, John. I'm not going to go down. I'm not asking you to fake anything. You do the repentant part and count on God to do the strength to live it part. Are you willing to repent? If that's you, just come on to this altar. Come on. For just a moment more, this altar's open. Come on. God bless you this morning. How about it, backslider? I'm not where I should be with the Lord. That's all I need to say. Will you repent this morning of your backsliding? Is there anybody in this congregation full of people that would repent of their backsliding this morning? Say, you've done too much for me. I'm not going to live this way. If that's you, come on. God bless you, sir. While these are praying, church family, would you stand with us? These can still pray. Can I tell you a very quick story before I let you go this morning? I know my buddy won't mind. There's a friend of mine in the altar here this morning. His name's Travis. About a month and a half ago, I was at Lowe's and we just struck up a conversation and I told him my story. And I know he was on the clock, but I did it anyway. And he said, it's, it's like you know me. And I said, I am you. A couple weeks later, I gave him my cell number. He called me and met me here in the office. And I just spelled out the plan of salvation again. He said, I'm ready to do this right now. I said, you are? He goes, yeah. So I said, well, you pray. I'm going to be a witness to it. Prayed the most genuine prayer. It's like, I don't want to be this way. Just forgive me and... Help me start over. I just give you my life. I got a text the next morning. Those that know me, I'm not much on texting, but this was one of them texts I like. He said, woke up this morning and my first thought was, I'm saved. How cool is that? <laughs> you know what my first thought was? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And those that prayed in the altar, listen, great grace is on you. When we bow our souls like we did today, okay, you don't have to live bowed. Once you humble yourself and you say, I am everything you said, I have no excuses. Forgive me. The blood of his son washes you from all sin. You hang your head now. You lift your head. 
you square your shoulders, you're forgiven, man. All that behind you, paid for. No guilt, no condemnation. I did repentance instead of condemnation. And whom the sun sets free, free indeed. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.